Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Food Farms and Chefs is so absolutely proud to introduce a culinarian, a chef in residency, a community activist, and someone who has incredible, incredible future ahead of her, Chef Tony Hicks, who is the chef in residency at Volver at the Kimmel Center campus. Chef Tony, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. It's an honor to have you. Thank you guys for having me. We are excited to have you. I, You know, I'm very seldom at a loss for words, and I don't even know where to begin with your career. Um, I, I really love following your career and talking about a lot of what you do. Uh, you know, to start off with, you, your roots are in Philadelphia. You learned to cook in your family you know, household and, and doing things and selling food. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, your journey into community college and then Drexel, and then we'll pick up from there. Okay. So I first started out by um, growing up in Philly, of course, and we lived in the Fairmount area. We lived on 19th of Fairmount, which is like known as Francisville, right across the street from the playground. And my parents and my family, we sold water ice for about like seven years. So that's kind of how we got started really in the industry, I would say. Um, even though I wasn't physically, like, cooking all the time or anything like that. It was kind of, like, scooping water ice and then putting pieces of pretzels in a microwave and, like, putting cheese on pretzels. But then when I got to high school, um, I entered in the culinary arts program at Swinson Arts and Technology, uh, which is the only school who still has the bacon and pastry arts program, which is the program that I was in and actually graduated from. So I really got involved with cooking because I was a part of the CCAT program, uh, which I now am currently the program coordinator for, um, just doing their cooking competition, and I was able to receive, you know, some cash from the scholarships that they offer to go to community college, and then they also had a transfer scholarship that I used uh, to go to Drexel. So it was a full tuition scholarship to study anything under the culinary or hospitality um, umbrella at Drexel, and I studied culinary science with a concentration directly in food science. So let me go back to something you said. You said you attended Swenson. Yes. So I see one more le- reason to love you even more. I have to tell you, my first position as a culinary instructor was at Swenson. No way. Uh, yeah, I go way. I go way back when there was an instructor back then, uh, Mr. Kaplan, who took ill, and I was on their advisory board. I was working for a country club, and they called me up and said, "You know, would you like to be a teacher?" And I said, "Well, I don't have a teaching certification," but they got me through into the emergency certification program, and you know, I went on to be a 15-year culinary instructor. Um, but my first position was at Swenson. And, uh, you know, what, what a wonderful start going way back when, uh, you know, probably before you were born, but yes. So that, that's just yeah, that's point. Point. I that. So well, a couple other things that, you know, you, you kind of failed. Yes, you sold water ice and pretzels. So your family also do, did some fried fish platters uh, that you guys were selling and all too. So you had a little bit more of a, a culinary background in that raising up in a, in a family household. But one of the things that I love about you is the internships you do. So one of our favorite places at Food Farms and Chefs happens to be Stone Barns. And you did a residency up at Stone Barns. So tell our listeners a little bit about your Stone Barns experience and what that was like and what you took away from it and then what you think about Stone Barns. 
Um, I think really with the Stone Barnes residency that we did, I wasn't physically uh, there at their spot. Um, it was kind of uh, just like an online thing. So we had to, you know, find an area in Philadelphia where we wanted to do like have a garden space or like a farm space. So we did like a urban farming in Southwest. But the one thing that I really loved and enjoyed about doing the residency with Stone Barnes was they helped me really find my voice and find my niche and culture for cooking and culture for food and especially my culture for community because I was always going around saying like you know I don't have no culture I feel like you know I just have a bunch of different cultures surrounded by me that I don't have my own culture like of course I have black culture but when it comes to food you know like specific cultures have specific cuisines that they're known for or like specific things that they're known for you know within their food so I feel like I didn't have that but what Stone Barns really did for me was like connected you know, my community being my culture and being able to take what, you know, I grew up eating, what I grew up cooking, what I'm used to, you know, the only things that I can find in my community and really making it my own and showing people and telling the story through my food was that, you know, so I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. Well, in addition to Stone Barnes, you're a James Beard Fellow. Yeah. Your foundation in New York, um, and you learned a lot of business skills, and obviously there. And while you were there, one of the things you had to do was kind of put together a culinary kit that goes out for sale and online and stuff. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that experience, what it was like. I mean, you're a fellow in probably the premier fellowship program for culinary arts in the country, if not in the world. <laughs> So for that, for the James Beard Fellowship, um, that was such a, a good fellowship, too. I think it was really cool. Um, I was the first person from Philadelphia to actually participate in it, which I was really excited about. Um, and then the fact that I got the chance to make this meal kit, a.k.a. also known as a beard box, and it was able to get shipped around the country was really good because not only people in Philadelphia and New York were eating my food, it was like people in Orlando, it was people in Chicago, it was people from all over getting to try my food. So what that box specifically, I really wanted to put in there, you know, things that were warm and close to my heart. Um, and it was also that my box was going to come out in September, like towards the end of September. So I kind of wanted to represent like the vegetables and the fruits and stuff that also grow in that season or that's coming out in that season. So just really highlighting that. So the things that I put in the box uh, was a lima bean risotto with the black and cod fish, which kind of represented, you know, things that me and my dad would eat after school when we went to like uh, um like when we went to like a corner restaurant, like a small mom and pop restaurant, he would always get llama beans and rice and I was always get like deep fried fish with hot sauce on it. So that's kind of what that dish represented. Um, one of the first dishes I ever made in like a culinary class in Drexel was in my uh, cultural gastronomy class where we had to do like an upcycling with food. So I put the sweet potato croquettes that I made, um, you know, during that class, I put those inside the box as well. And then, you know, just a sticky bun. Um, sticky buns is something that you can always find in my house just sitting on the counter. So um, I made an apple sticky bun because it was apple season uh, with apple butter and then just some walnuts and apples on top. And just representing, you know, what I grew up eating and also what I want people to understand about me when they taste my food and, you know, just get that feeling of, like, understanding me and, you know, eating my creations. Because I see food as art, you know, no matter what. It's always the art first. So just making sure that I keep that theme going. I have to tell you, as a person who taught in Philadelphia, both Swenson and then later at Bach, before Bach program closed, um, just hearing you describe that and talking about the pride in, in what you're doing in the culinary arts is, is so heartwarming. And it, 
you know, it's rewarding as a, you know, a one-time instructor uh, hearing you say that and, and it shows, you know, what, uh, why instructors and Votech and, and culinary education matter so much. So, you know, thank you. And if I sound a little teary-eyed, I am exactly that right now listening to what you just said. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> I, you know, when I, when I read what your mailbox was and, and I just kind of fell in love with that, the, you know, the whole entire menu, the sweet potato croquettes just stole my heart. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I have to try them someday. I have to convince her to make them for me someday mm-hmm. and and do that. And then with the black and, and cod and, and the lime bean risotto, you know, what a great menu combination. And then when you finish it, I, I, I love making sticky buns, too. So when you did that, but then, you know, they're filled with the apple butter and such. I was like, oh, oh I'm, you know, weak in the knees from that. But, you know, mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. So... We progressed a little bit, and, and, you know, we are now down at, uh, you know, doing a, a chef in residency at Volver at, at the Kimmel. Um, tell our listeners what's going on there, what what you're doing there, and, and we can uh, talk a lot more about that and then talk, uh, you know, what what your next step is, which I'm really so excited to talk about and uh, so proud to hear what you're doing. Yeah, so the the chef in residency at Volver, I'm like super excited about. I, um, so far, I finished my first week, um, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty good, very successful. So I'm happy to hear that, um, and you know, just loud and proud and about what I'm doing and what I'm really uh, raising money for because that's also something we can do within a residency. We get to raise money for a project that work that we are working on. But um, the reason I got kind of set up, like the way I got kind of set up with the residency, is I had to do a dinner at the James Beard House. And Jose Garcia himself was there, and someone asked a question about, like, oh, Tony, we don't know you. We want to know your story. And I kind of just went on the back end and started explaining about, like, um, you know, how growing up in Philly, it's hard for me to afford to live in this space because, you know, a lot of developers are starting to come over and, you know, create all of these residential areas that, you know, forces businesses to suffer, or especially small businesses and especially people who want to own the real estate of their business. It's kind of difficult now. So, like, talking about like my goals of owning a commissary space in Philly, specifically West Philly, um, is really important to me. So my story really spoke to Chef himself and he like offered me, you know, this he just offered me to do the residency at Volver and he told me a little bit more details about it. And I was like, you know, that's something I would really love to do. The fact that people would get to taste my food I think is really awesome because I do work as a private chef in the city. So not everyone gets the chance to taste my food. So that's like one of the main things that I'm really excited about that people get to come and eat my food uh, as much as they like. And then also I get to touch tables and speak with people, you know, about the project and about the commissary building and about what I'm raising money for and why I want to do it and why it's so important to me. And just to get to hear them, you know, either make a donation or give me their business card because they want to help out or even, you know, reach out to me on social media and saying like, hey, I would love to do an additional fundraiser for you or something like that. So just being able to be a part of like, you know, this residency is really exciting for me because it opened up so many doors, you know, that I've always been trying to, you know, open. But like here and now is like my time for me to be doing what I wanted to do for such a long time. So for our listeners who don't know, uh, some of the monies raised through the chef residency dinners at Volver actually will go to Tony's project, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, in addition to that, Jose Garces himself makes a donation to her project as well. And that's, you know, several thousand dollars that he's putting forth towards helping support that. Um, and just a, a great opportunity for her to showcase, 
you know, her great cooking and, and do that. And, you know, you can make reservations, have a wonderful night out, and make a difference in the world all at the same time. You know, what a great thing to be able to do. That being said, Tony, tell us about your project, uh, what you're doing. I think it's a fabulous thing. So about your commissary and, and what the goal is for that. Oh, so uh, my commissary, uh, it will, I'm looking for a spot in West Philly and currently raising money for it. But essentially what I want it to be is a huge building that I own. Like I own the bricks, I own the property, I own like all the real estate of it because that's the biggest and most important thing to me is to actually own the property. But with that, um, it will be commercial kitchen space that people can rent out, especially targeting more towards, uh, you know, young entrepreneurs, upcoming chefs in the industry who need that that kitchen space to prep and to, you know, get ready for catering gigs or just need somewhere to come and work out of and do some type of, like, recipe development. But then I also want um, to have an education, uh, educational kitchen space as well so I can teach culinary education to people to learn how to feed themselves. So not people to be, you know, a great chef or learn, like, these really strategic sauces and knife skills, like people to learn how to feed themselves. Like, um, one of the curriculums I'm working on now, you know, for the kitchen is doing, like, a grocery store shopping with people and, like, letting them know, like, these are the essential things you want to have in your pantry, you know, no matter what. So people just understanding where their food comes from, how to use their food, how to preserve their food, why food, you know, is important and what it does. You know, it helps heal you. It's a medicine. And just um, letting them also know that once you learn how to feed yourself and once you learn a bit more about food, you can't unlearn it for number, for one. And then, you know, it also eliminates a lot of things like obesity and food waste. And, like, these are, like, problems going on in our city. Um, I grew up in a food desert. I grew up, like, in a food insecure neighborhood. But, like, luckily my mom, she grew up with her mother being able to use fresh vegetables and stuff like that. So she presented that to us. Not all my friends had that opportunity. You know, not everyone around me had the opportunity. So me providing that education to people is really, really, really important to me. And then also I wanted to be um, some space, you know, on a, on a top level because I imagine this building to be three stories. So you got your commercial kitchen at the bottom, your education kitchen in the middle, and then at the top we have these, like, studio spaces like uh, incubator spaces for different, you know, artists or content creators who need, you know, space as well, um, photographers, artists, writers, like whoever, and what can they provide to us, you know, at the kitchen to so we can be like one working resource for everyone. What an absolute amazing, uh, you know, idea and, and something, you know, that, that exists a little bit in Philadelphia. I mean, Drexel Pren have a little bit of that stuff going on, but, you know, for you to bring this from the private sector, from you personally, to be able to do that. And, you know, something that hit me really interesting when you were talking about it, because you came, I'm sure, to be aware of this, but you didn't grow up knowing this, about, you know, the concept of, you know, a food desert, uh, you know, what that is. So we've talked about this a, a little bit on the show, but if you can kind of, you know, give your version now looking back at growing up in one, what mm -hmm. what is you know what is that explain it to our listeners so like for me like you said growing up i didn't even know that i lived in the food desert i thought maybe that's just how everybody you know grew up until i got to college and realized like i like i said i was in a culinary program in high school i've been cooking for a pretty long time so when i got to high school and i was working with girls who knew way more about food than i did who never stepped foot in the industry i was kind of confused of like how do these girls know this stuff or like how do they how do they know about these vegetables and things like that? Of course, you know, education too, but it was what they were exposed to and the resources that they had. So, um, 
going shopping for me was like going to the corner store, you know, going to the corner store and buying a certain amount of money of lunch meat or buying bread or like just buying like little things at a time and not going fully grocery shopping. Even when we do go grocery shopping, um, not having a chance to go up and down every aisle because we don't need anything from every aisle. We just need some specifics, you know, when we go into the supermarket. So just basically not having those resources of a full-blown supermarket, not having the resources of fresh fruits and vegetables around me, um, I was never exposed to that, you know. That was never something that was in my neighborhood. It was always, like, corner stores. It was always fast and convenient food. It was always corner Chinese stores. It was always, uh, you know, ready-to-eat food or chips and sodas and candies. It's, like, all of this cheap food that we can just fill up on, also known as, like, what my dad would say is, like, junk like a bunch of junk and sure. junk food and stuff like that. So just like that, being around, like growing up in an area just like that. I don't, to be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you. My address was 1814 Wally Street, which was right, was right off 19th and Fairmount. I cannot even tell you any supermarket that was around there until about 2010, I want to say, which was a fresh grocer that they opened up on Broad Street, which was for Temple's Campus. And then other than that, I can't tell you what other supermarket was around there, if I'm being honest. But now when I go around there, um, you got a giant around there, you got an Aldi's around there, and this is a community being invested in because the community is gentrified. But if we go to these other communities that are not gentrified yet, there's no investment of fresh fruits or vegetables surrounded by them. So that's a big thing that's important to me, too, is, like, if you're going to invest in communities, make sure you're investing in the communities that actually need it as well, not just the ones that, you know, want, you want to look good. Girl, I want to take you on the talk show circuit because you just explained <laughs> that better than many experts I've ever heard try to talk about it. We can get into much more depth about that, but wow, that was just a powerful statement there. So, slow, it's different when you grow up proud. in it, you know? Yes. It's different yes. when you, you grow you, up in it. And you you spoke from growing up in that. That's a wonderful thing because I can hear all kinds of experts talk about what it's like, but they never lived it. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a wonderful thing. So now, slow, loud, and proud. Tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can follow your project, how they can donate to your project. Okay, so you can donate right now um, for the re during the residency, which I will be in until March 19th, uh, Wednesday through Sunday, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, or you can go online. Uh, there's a link on my website. TonyHicks.com. Tony is spelled with two eyes, And you can sign up for my newsletter, um, be updated with all programs and events that I have coming up and things that I'm doing, but also any fundraiser events that I have coming up. And then follow me on Instagram at Team Tony. Tony also has two eyes, T-E-A-M-T-O-N-I-I. And you can click the link in my bio, which you can actually donate for the fundraiser that I have set up with uh, Volver. And then you can also follow me on Instagram to be updated with things that I have going on as well. So I'm going to go on the record of saying today, and Amaris, you can mark this on the calendar. Within, I'm going to go long shot because I don't gamble that much and say 10 years, but I think it's closer to five. We're going to see uh, Tony as the top one, one of the top 100 women uh, influencers in the city of Philadelphia within 10 years. I can yes. tell you that right now. What she's doing and where she's driving and that passion that she has behind her. I salute you, what you're doing. Um, I, again, choked up thinking that you came out of the school district that, you know, it's a tough school district. We, we lack resources in Philadelphia. You know, I spend a lot of money every year raising my own 
funds. We had issues, you know, uh, with all kinds of facilities and, and, you know, it was a beg, borrow, steal to do a lot of things to keep the programs operating and CCAP was a key part of that. Um, but uh, I'm so proud to, uh, you know, be be involved in that. Tony, thank you so much for joining Food Farms and Chefs. From MRSI, congratulations. We look forward to following your career. I will certainly down down to try your dinner, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. And I would love to introduce you to Mohammed Abdul Hadi. <laughs> who is the owner of Down North Pizza in um, Philadelphia. So, Mohammed, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Happy to be here. So you actually have a very interesting history. Um, where you grew up, you grew up obviously in Philadelphia, uh, but you you grew up in um, and, you know, had an entrepreneurial ship soul, I want to say, um, since you were little. So tell our listeners, like, how did you get started in, in the, in like just owning businesses and, in, in you know, real, realtor development and whatnot? Um, yeah, like you, um, like you were saying, it was like something early on. I had the privilege of being around family members. Um, my brother, um, one who was a business owner and, I was exposed to that at a very, very um, early age. He actually started one of the biggest clothing lines to come out of Philadelphia, which is called Mesquine. So actually when I was growing up in high school, I was working and actually being immersed in like the culture of um, entrepreneurship and just business and how they function. So for me, you know, I liked it and it was something that I wanted to get myself into uh, once the time was right. So um, yeah, I was you know blessed to be able to be exposed to that at a very early age. Yeah. And like, how soon after you graduated high school, did you jump into, you know, starting to, to bounce into that, you know, business into the world of owning, you know, different, different businesses, different realtor um, spots and, and turning over, you know, different places where people would, I mean, you're, you're just, your, your heart and your soul, you know, from day one was, was basically like self-driven. So how, how soon after you graduated high school, did you get into that? Um, I actually continued to work for the company. Uh, he had uh, multiple other, he sold that, got another company. So I was really um, immersed in like just the um, understanding the work side of everything when I was um, working there after I, you know, because I didn't go right to college after I graduated high school. So for me, it was something that, you know, I just stayed around and worked and got a better understanding of how businesses operate. So for me, it's just been like the last, you know, 10, 15 years of my life that I've been like fully immersed in different businesses, starting, you know, figuring out same thing with like this, this restaurant, this happened to be my first restaurant, um, that I opened. Um, and it was something that I wanted to do and I ended up liking it a lot. (laughs) So, um, I know that your inspiration, you know, came from something personal, I I believe. So tell our listeners exactly like what, what occurred that inspired you to open up this I mean, it's got accolades out the wazoo, too, because you, you have been mentioned in numerous magazines on um, shows, if I recall. So I it's and and just looking at what you offer is absolutely delicious. But, you know, what inspired you to open up the, the spot in the area that you did and, you know, and open it to 
not necessarily what you know business owners conventionally would would hire as employees which is like far above and beyond you know something that i i give a lot of credit to you for for you know doing but let our listeners know what what it is that inspired you and um about your business um I always seen value in individuals that have been formerly incarcerated. I've always hired them in businesses that I've owned. I've seen the value. I've seen the dedication. I've seen what they're able to do, given the chance, because that's all they want. So, um, you know, even though I was doing construction, my construction team was composed of formerly incarcerated individuals or people that was coming from, you know, substance abuse. So understanding the opportunities that are needed for them, um, that's where I've seen value. So. When I was doing when I was doing real estate in Strawberry Mansion, you know, I own a building that we operate out of. So, for me, I thought about just renting it out to someone um, to do their own thing. But just being in the neighborhood, I'm from West Philly, so being in uh, Strawberry Mansion and seeing what they are going through, how underprivileged, how underdeveloped, how you know forgotten about this neighborhood is, I saw value in that. So for me, I said, you know what, I'm gonna do this myself. Um, and surround myself with people who've been in the restaurant industry to help me navigate through this process. And um, you now put together a team. Team's been with me since day one. And I just said, we're gonna figure it out, even though everybody around me thought I was crazy for starting a business with the mission <laughs> to only hire individuals that have been formerly incarcerated. I mean, prisons, you know, prisons work, you know, they're, the whole business model is based off of people get based off of crime happening. So for me, why not be on the positive? Like these, you know, these um, men and women, they want to work. It's just hard for them to get that, that start. Yeah. So I feel like if I was that business that could provide the start, um, and we could focus on an item, a food item that everybody loves, maybe we can marry the two and maybe this can be um, successful. That's how I thought, you know, a lot of my businesses when I think are unconventional and I'm not the type of person that somebody can talk me out of an idea that I have especially if I don't need their money. I think a, a very important point that we're not on here is, yes, you know, you're doing this, but one of the other things that you're really doing is you're providing what we call fair and equitable pay. You're mm-hmm. not necessarily starting people at, you know, the minimum wage number. You're providing them with living wage, which, you know, really does impact the cost of pizza place. I mean, pizza place have a small, very small margin to make money on, and you're successfully doing that. Uh, you know, that has to be something that's very important to you. And and you know, how are you passed on that expense, or you know, what what's going on? And you're able to do that. I mean, we just take a lot of pride in what we do. So our pizzas are, you know, you know, we have pizzas ranging from nineteen dollars all the way to twenty eight dollars per pie. So um, people would say that you know our prices may be a little high, but you're getting a premium product. Um, we don't have any freezers in our facility at all. So everything is made fresh the day of from the dough to all the ingredients that you, you know, top on that pizza, sauces and everything. So we give a really, really premium product um, that people appreciate and enjoy. Well, I mean, that's why you were best square piece in 2021. And, you know, one of the other things I love about your business is you're a Thursday through Sunday. You're not a six day a week business. You are, you know, not only you're giving fair, equitable wage, but you're also giving people an opportunity those days off to do the things that are important within family or any type of rehab programs or anything like that that they need to be part of. So you, what you're doing 
clearly changing lives in such a great positive way. I, you know, it's it's just remarkable. Um, you know, and you know, just to be and I, and I have a feeling just looking at you and seeing you that that's carrying over to some of your other businesses as well. Yeah, I mean that's our mantra: it's, it's slanging pies and saving lives. So that's what we say uh, we're doing, um, and just providing the blueprint. Um, like I said, it's people that hire individuals that are formerly incarcerated. Um, sometimes they don't get paid the same, um, but we know that even what we pay is going to not be enough. You know the way prices and things are going. So the minimum wage that they have set now is like ridiculous. That you still think that somebody can live off of seven dollars and seventy-five or sixty-five, whatever it is which is ridiculous. Um, so my thing was, you got to double that at least to give them a start. And then, you know, we only open four days. So if you, you know, even not just, you know, if you want to spend time with your family, you want to do other things. Um, I have a lot of community endeavors that I do, so I need the, the time to do that. Um, but maybe you want to pick up another job, you know, you want to supplement some income, you have the opportunity um, to do that. So it's like, you know, giving you the freedom where we know that restaurant um, industry can be very demanding on people because of the prep because of the service because of you know the time that you spend in the restaurant so understanding that um and then for us maximizing the weekend as a time where we know people particularly eat pizza it's like a weekend um thing it's like you know friday saturday like that's pizza time so kind of centering in on those days and just uh maximizing those opportunities you had also mentioned the fact that um, that you have a lot of other community involvements that you participate in. Um, and off of uh, North, <laughs> sorry, Jean had to Jean had to go, unfortunately. But um, off of your Down North Pizza, you also have involved your community in in fundraising um, with various uh, other aspects too, um, where you've worked with you know restaurateurs. For raising funds with like Mark Mark Vatry, um, Randy Rucker, and Chad Williams, so you know I thought that was very interesting too and very like helpful because you're giving back to the community and raising raising funds, but also feeding you know individuals who are in food insecure areas. Yeah, that was a, you know it was an honor to work with some of you know the top chefs in Philly. Uh, being as though, like I said, I'm not in that world. I just I'm just entering that. So um, they, you know, those particular chefs, you know, including Mike Solomonoff, who, you know, is a good, you know, great supporter of what we do, um, just having those allies in this space and they understand, you know, they've been in the business for a very long time. So for me, it was an honor to be able to work with them and, you know, what they were able to bring to the table and uh, assist us um, on our journey. Because, yes, we are in areas that are typically food deserts, food impoverished areas. So highlighting those and, you know, inviting those people into the, these spaces that, you know, they might not have been in um, prior is it's important. The same thing with our customer base. We're inviting people to see these areas and see what's going on. And hopefully, you know, they can use their voices to, to help, you know, and amplify, you know, the, the um, atrocities, I want to say, that's going on in these neighborhoods. Yeah. And I mean, you do bring a lot of light into the neighborhoods, too, and a lot of attention because I, I think you're one of the the first people who kind of created that square pie trend that's been going on. Um, and it, all of your food looks absolutely delicious. But one of the other things that I really appreciate um, through what you do is uh, your executive chef, Michael Carter, like not only is he also somebody who has been incarcerated, uh, incarcerated and came out, like he's made a name for himself 
previously he was you know making a name for himself and went to culinary the culinary school um but he also teaches people who are coming out the skill the culinary skills within the kitchen so that they can continue on too so you know how how have you seen an impact as far as that's concerned i've seen a great impact um we're not the first ones that started like the the, the choice pie um we thought as an opportunity because it was something nostalgic to us and our upbringing, but it was definitely people doing the square pie before us. I don't want to take, I don't want to take credit for that. Um, but we just got our own, we just do ours a little different. So I want to say like, we kind of pioneer our own way that's inspired by the Detroit style, but we put our little Philly twist on our pie and how we do it. So yes, it's definitely um, something that we uh, kind of create our own lane. With that, um, within that particular style, but yeah, this is it's big. It's actually huge. Um, Michael, you know, coming out and then having an opportunity to really pioneer um, this uh, movement that we are um, that we've been, you know, indulged in for the past three years. Um, he's enjoying it, and it's just been a, a lot of opportunities for some of the guys that have, you know, just came home and don't even know the the, the skills that they already possess. We're kind of just enlightening them on like the skills that they already possess. Same thing with, with Mike, you know, he, you know, he was working before he, you know, went away. He was working in the kitchen. He worked in the kitchen while he was away. So, you know, Mike has been in and out of kitchens for some time and, you know, he loves what he does. So let's jump into what you actually offer, because um, you have some like obviously like based on, you know, when when articles come out or when something happens in the media, people will you know probably rush and be like, oh, I want that. Um, so what are some of your favorite pizzas or one of your preferred or higher seller p selling pizzas? So we actually developed like uh, a very unique pie with uh, lamb sausage on it. Um, it was something that the guys in the kitchen um, was like, you know, I always want to do a lamb pie. So they actually developed, because I'm not a chef, um, so I want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you might see me in the kitchen here, here and there, but I'm not a chef. Because, um, you know, I appreciate the, the art, you know, and, I, you know, for me to say that I'm a chef, I feel like it's, um, it's, it's not right because I haven't, you know, put any work to actually become that. And these guys put, you know, years and hours in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, this, this lamb pie that they developed, um, Mike actually curated like a, uh, a, a garlic honey cause it's a white pie. So it's a lemon ricotta based on the pizza. Then you got the four cheese blend on top of that. And then you have the lamb sausage. Um, and then it's some zatar sprinkled on the pizza and then you finish it with uh, the garlic honey. And that's like been one of the most top selling pies for the past. We did it as a special and we had to bring it back on a permanent menu because that's how people was asking for it, how much people was asking for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, and I think you had one, one that was a vegetarian pie as well that, you know, people went crazy for. Yeah, that vegetarian pie is what got us on the New York Times um, top 50 restaurant list in 2021. Um, New York Times had came to our restaurant, we didn't even know, and they tried that pie. So that was a pie that got us on that uh, list in 2021. So who else, I mean, because New York Times, obviously, like you have, you know, uh, okay, so Philly is a foodie town. And I mean, we're, there's a lot of us out there that review food and, you know, some of us 
are more into it than others, like myself. Um, who who out of, you know, outside of just the, like, amazing chefs that you've collaborated with, that you've worked with um, on different things, um, who are your allies? Outside of them, have you had anybody like um like myself or like michael klein who have come in that have announced themselves like you know it have either announced themselves then or like afterwards from the philadelphia area yeah it's like afterwards because you know um when people review if you your food they don't want you to know that they are coming in because they want you to you know they don't want you to put that you know the the extra you know best foot forward because they're coming they want you know how it would normally be if uh, just a normal person walk into the building so um i think that's important but yeah, we've had, you know, you name it, as far as food publications um, have been in our restaurant, I've heard about us, I've written a story. Um, bon Appetit, um, they gave us a nod as one of the, the top 12 restaurants that's trailblazing um, the restaurant industry back in 2021. Um, so yeah, we've been on um, Hulu, we've been on uh, the Good Morning America show. Um, yeah. I, it's a lot of um, places that we've been featured on um, and what we do. And it's not just our mission. You know, we back it up with the product. Yeah. And I mean, I know that I look forward to trying some of your pizzas because I saw that and I love the fact that there's all that nice burnt cheese around the edges. Like, that's one of my favorite parts of pizza. Um, you know, and then the fact that your crust looks like it, it, it can hold up real well and, like, it's a nice hefty crust. So you're going to fill up with this pizza. Yeah. Yeah, because we overhydrate the dough so that it can take those temperatures in the oven so it doesn't dry out. Because if anybody's familiar with the typical Detroit pizza, it's, very, it's a dry, um, dense pie. But ours is um, a little warm and chewy on the inside, so it's a little different um, texture. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the—we uh, call it a fence, the cheese fence, because we fight in recidivism. <laughs> but the um, thing about that that sometimes we have to educate our customers on is that they think that the pizza is burnt around the side, not understanding that that— edge we line the pan with cheese so that we can get that effect on the pizza which is a delicious effect by the way um unfortunately we actually have to go but <laughs> so before you know we we have to say goodbye what where can people find you online and in person you can find us online at down north underscore pizza on instagram and twitter um also you can find us in person down north pizza is at 2804 west lehigh avenue in philadelphia pennsylvania also, you you can order online uh, or pre-order online at downnorthpizza.com. Yeah, come check us out. You won't be disappointed. All right. Thank you so much, Muhammad, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. And I have the honor to introduce you to Krista Barfield, who is the owner, the CEO, and... Um, <laughs> I mean, your list while I was do, uh, researching you just goes on and on and on. So I, I will touch base on some of the other stuff that you do, but you own Farmer John and, um, well, uh, Elkins Park is where you're originally like opened up, opened that up. But how did you, um, how did you get it started into farming? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Um, I started farming, uh, now this is 2023. So about, Five years ago, I went on a vacation just after quitting my job. It all started on a vacay, right? Not planning on anything agriculture related. I never touched soil a day in my life. 
And from being burnt out from a career that I had just resigned from, I decided to take a, my very first vacation out of the country. And I chose Martinique as my first landing point. And on that trip, I encountered two hosts through Airbnb. And one was uh, a Thai chef that incorporated agriculture into just like their daily lifestyle, which by way of tea, like he would make me cups of tea every morning, picking herbs from his backyard. And I, and I think that's pretty common. And uh, what uncommon to me as an American from Philadelphia, you know, my backyard was concrete. So <laughs> it was very interesting to see that. And then on another part, the same trip, I had traveled to another part of the island and then I had encountered black farmers. And that opened my eyes because I was like, wow, these are farmers that are doing this work. They own their own business. And it, this is not sharecropping. They're literally getting to provide food for people in their community as a business that is sustainable and profitable for themselves. And they want to farm. And I thought that was beautiful all in and of itself, especially because of the history of farming in America. So I decided to take both of those experiences and write business plans for them and come home and start a tea company and then start a farm as well. That is amazing because um, I, again, I researched you um, prior to you joining us on, on Food Farms and Chefs, and I know that you have a history in the, you know, the health field. Yes, it was more of an administrative role, but still, like, I feel like that is going to kind of reflect on decisions that you make m moving forward in your life. Um, and the fact that you chose a field where tea, you know, teas and, and whatnot, and even, you know, eventually pro, you know, you moved forward and opened, you know, the CSA, mm -hmm. um, it's, it affects your health in a very positive way and yeah. a very positive light. So, um, kudos to you for doing that and also Thank learning you. all of the different techniques to doing that. Uh, but, you know, you had mentioned you grew up in Philadelphia, and as we all know, Philadelphia has a lot of areas that are are um, nutritionally deficient because they are in um, food insecurity areas. So, did that kind of also influence your decision to create the CSAs? Yeah, what I realized is that I, I never knew what a CSA was. So, when I was in Martinique and I saw how the the black those farmers were operating. They had a CSA, but when I was watching it happen, like I saw them packing boxes of fruits, vegetables, and herbs, and I saw people then coming to pick them up. I saw those people, those same people putting 20 euros in an envelope to pay for their share, and they took their box away. So I didn't have the language of CSA yet, Community Supported Agriculture, which is basically a membership to the farm. And um, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is very, this is awesome. I had just quit my job. I don't have any next steps planned. Like this could be something that can work well. And I'm like, food is something, it's universal, right? Food is definitely a universal language. Everybody needs it. And most people are eating on a regular daily basis. Um, and, and most people would choose to eat on a regular daily basis if they could. So like, how can I impact change in areas where, you know, where there's not a lot of nutrient dense food and there's not a lot of organic food. And then looking at where I come from in a section of uh, Philadelphia called Germantown it is one of the, the lowest ranked health, uh, lowest ranked areas health wise. And so I'm like, I am a healthcare professional. Absolutely. I, I've always loved science. I've always um, had a, a grand respect for the clinical side of healthcare and being on the administrative side, we're really the ones that make it all go. We're, we're the ones that make it all get help it to be paid for. And I wanted to utilize those skill sets I had to really impact change on health disparities in my own region and now in America as I focus on nutrition security and where our food comes from. So yeah, that that trip literally 
did not, it, it blew my mind. And I didn't even think about all of these things at one time. It's just like, gradually, as I started to come home and put the business together and then started to execute. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like there's a person in Clifton Heights, which is about 40 minutes away from Germantown that's coming to me to pick up her share every single day. Like, can she found me on Facebook? It's like, what? Like you're coming all the way here to come get produce for me? So I, that's what started to open up my mind. Like I only was able to accept 10 families in the beginning. I'm growing on a small 3000 square foot plot of land. And then I get all these people that are like, oh, well, when you have, when you have more openings, like I, I have a waiting list, like what is this? So <laughs> yeah, I started to realize like the impact that we could really make. Yeah. So moving forward, I mean, you have exciting news because you did just expand. So you're going to make all of those people on that waiting list, super happy. And then some more. Um, so like tell our listeners, like, what was it like moving from your 3000 square foot plot of land to, um, I forget how many acres it's like, yeah, (laughs) it's it's 123 acres that we have, uh, in one location, but we still are, we still have our land that's closer to the city and still expanding there because farming is meant to be convenient. So, and that's the only way that we get people eating the the food that's healthiest for them. The food that's grown closest to them is by making sure that they can easily access it in by way of convenience. So, uh, yeah, we went from having, uh, I like to start with the real genesis of it all. So 24 square feet greenhouse is what I had in my backyard in Germantown. <laughs> and then that increased to about 1500 square feet, about 10 minutes away from that home in Germantown. Then I expanded a little bit further in that same area to 3000 square feet. Then from that 3000 square feet, we had 40,000 square feet of greenhouse space, about another 10 minutes from home in a different direction. <laughs> and then on top of that, we actually ended up moving away from that 40,000 square foot space for a multitude of reasons, but it wasn't the right fit for us. However, we then took a step back and then took a step forward to having five acres of land added to our enterprise in 2022 in the beginning. And now at the end of 2022, we... Uh, petitioned and was able to to have a great proposal and be chosen to be the new stewards of 123 acres of land in Westchester, about 45 minutes from Philadelphia, our, our original location. So all in all, we currently are stewarding 129 acres of land and, and doing so in, in multiple different ways between our for-profit and our nonprofit. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. I mean, that is something huge and something like enormous in the impact that it's going to have. Um, sure. But I also know that the the land that you took over, um, the person that used to be the AG for it, um, it retired. And so I'm wondering, did you step into that role to some, a certain degree? And I know that it's located um, at uh, Westtown mm-hmm. School. That's right. Yeah. And, and that... Um, you know, so obviously there's going to be students or, you know, what have you that are, in, you know, kind of included in this, this land that you're, you're uh, farming. Do you participate in teaching those students? Yeah. So I'll just be, make it very clear. This land is a lease. It's something that we, the person that was on this farm before was also a business owner and entrepreneur in his own right and had been a farmer there for over 20 years. Um, they retired. So in retiring that land, which is, is owned by the school, is uh, now they were looking for a new leasee and Farmer John was, was chosen after a long proposal process. And so we are now the new people that will be paying the school for that to be able to use that land okay. um, and that space that's there. And so I don't work for the school, but okay. we are going to 
definitely be doing some um, things together. Yeah, I'm a full-on entrepreneur. And, <laughs> and so that space is, is another location that we're adding into the Farmer Joint Enterprise where we get to do the work, the impactful work that we do. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to have this space. I'm, I'm super excited about the juxtaposition of this location, where it's located, uh, the access accessibility to other areas in the region that could definitely impact from um, having more organic food and within the space. And um, and we get to transform that land into 100% organic, which I'm really, really excited about um, being able to put out chemical-free vegetables. And to me, that, that's the, the most important part of it all. And yeah, the students that are there at the school, I definitely look forward to, to having some programming for them to be able to, to come onto the farm and participate in uh, different growing activities, learn some things, as well as the universities in the area and other schools. Cheney University is directly across the street, and that is the first historically Black college university uh, in Pennsylvania. And, you know, it started in the 1800s. So I think that is something that I'm most excited about truly is to be able to, to, to be representation for other black and brown students that will be directly across the street, knowing that they have a place to come to to get a nutritious meal. Um, yeah, and grown by a black woman and black farmer. And not only that, but while you're there, I know that because um, I've watched some video clips, you you take the time to also educate everyone. And, you know, I've seen I saw one video clip where a student was like, what is this? And you're like, it's a parsnip. And she was like, how do I eat this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so I like the fact that, you know, you're introducing um, fresh fresh vegetables and, and everything that are organic and that your farm is a sustainable um, farm, but you're teaching students, you know, what vegetables and, and other produce are that they might not be familiar with. Yeah. And we do that through the CSA as well, which I love when people that, that sign up to be a member of our farm, we're going to throw in some items that their people are unfamiliar with, along with the things that they are, you know, with the, the staples of most people's produce area in their fridge uh, or on their counter. But I do love to, to educate folks, uh, as you mentioned, on things that are brand new to them. And maybe, you know, we go back and forth between cultures when we're talking about food, like one day we might be talking about, you know, a, a beet borscht, right? <laughs> or, and then another day we might be giving recipes for how to make a, a an amazing spiralized pasta out of a squash. Like we move around so much uh, and making sure that we cover the bases of, of cuisine uh, through the scope of, of, of agriculture. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing. Now, you know, I know that I have CSAs that are surrounded because I, where I live, I'm like plopped in the middle of, you know, farmland and woods. So <laughs> I, I have that surrounding me, but, um, you know, the people that go out of their way, like the woman who, you know, drives 40 minutes away to, to pick up her produce from you, um, how, how do they get more involved or how do you involve them more in the community sense and how, yeah do they purchase um, the CSA? Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, the, the CSAs are purchased through our website and we launched those um, towards the end of last year. And uh, many of them are sold out, which I'm very happy to report because those dollars are super important to help with the preparation of season. Um, but we do have still have some openings and we, we've added on a bunch of other pickup locations as well to try to make it as more convenient to, to people. So we have five pickup locations now um, throughout the region. And um the the other part of your question was <laughs> the first part of it <laughs> <laughs> sorry um you know what i even forgot at this point but oh. I, I um i know that i asked about like how how they participate but um oh, oh yeah. community involvement 
Yes. Yeah. So we, so our CSA is, is set up so that we don't require our members to come and volunteer. They're mm -hmm. absolutely welcome to, but we don't make it a requirement. Like if you want to share at this price, you got to come volunteer. Uh, I don't like to do that because I know time, time deficits exist. At the end of the day, we are Americans and we all know what that rat race is like. And <laughs> we know what it is to, to go to get your job done and then be exhausted. And so the last thing somebody may want to do is to come work on a farm <laughs> just so they can get their vegetable. Um, and, and it really is about, it's supporting us. And I want people to be able to support us. Their, if their heart is to support us, which is when people sign up for a CSA, that's a part of it. Yes, you're getting great, great health benefit from eating raw organic vegetables, but you're also supporting a local farm, which is supporting people and planet overall. And um, if people are doing that, I, I don't want to pressure people into thinking that you have to also do this other thing. Now, if you want to do the volunteer piece, we absolutely welcome anyone to, to come. And then we also host events quite often throughout the year. Um, we love inviting people over to the farm and to, to see what we have going on and, and really just to, to pitch in, put their hands in soil. It's very therapeutic. You know, ever since 2020, we and as Americans have and, and people around the world have just been more sensitive to the need for a mental health outlet. And so yeah. I also look at putting hands in soil as as, as that. And uh, we welcome folks who have interest to come assist us in any way and, you know, take a load off by picking up a shovel. <laughs> the irony of that, but it works. Um, yeah. And breaking a sweat is really good. It is a stress reliever. It is. Um, now, something else that I saw is that you you offer customizable seating. So, you know, is that something new to you, to your program or is that something you've been running? Yeah, this is new and I'm really, really excited. I've had this idea for a couple of years, but custom growing is something that, uh, and that's what you're referring to, right? Our, yes, our custom, yes. Yeah. I, you know, folks can't always find certain crops that they're looking for, especially on a business level. So right now we're rolling this out at, at the business level, but at some point I, I'm open to absolutely taking suggestions of people who have, you know, might have ancestry and culture of, of not being able to find a food that they grew up with. Yeah. And, you know, or something that isn't a recipe from their grandmother, you know, generations back. I want to be able to to get that vegetable to them or that piece <laughs> of something if I can grow it here. And so, but for specifically for our custom grow form that we have um, right now, it's available to chefs and food artisans and different makers who are uh, creating food or products that they would like to have an organic source of. Yeah. And it's very hard to find organic many things um <laughs> and so if we can grow organic and bought for for a organization or a person who has great interest in making sure that they're supporting organic and they want organic for their products yeah um, because of whatever it may be for the health of it or for the profit margin whatever you know it's difficult to find that outlet so we're going to be custom growing for some makers in this area and uh and they're going to be you know putting out some great uh products and then some plates that are all full of organic farm uh, produce. So I'm really excited to to help people dream come true. And then they're in turn helping me make my dream come true by increasing the amount of organic agriculture that's in the area. Yeah. Cause it's very important to, to like get the word out and to like, let people know that that's available. And, you know, especially because in food deserts, in food insecure areas, you know, you want to enrich the environment because bringing those nutrients into their diets on a daily need is helpful for not just not just um, their health and well-being, sorry, not just right. for their health and well-being, but also because it, you know, it helps 
invigorate their bodies and their mental state. Yeah, for sure. And just overall happiness and um for for people in planning. I just it's just better. So yeah. I'm excited to be able to be a, a person that now has access to this amount of land that can allocate some of that for the growth of products specific to certain consumers. Um, so one last uh, question before I let you go, because uh, I saw that you have some recipes that are up on your website. What's mm-hmm. one of your favorite recipes that you've made with um, one of your, uh, some of your produce, I should say. I'll definitely say we just did, I was at the Pennsylvania Farm Show earlier in um, in January and I did my first ever chef demo um, on TV. So it's actually something that you can look up and it's being circulated on PCN television. Um, and you know, I, I'm not a chef by any means, and I do want farmers to get the recognition they deserve by, for what we do, because, uh, you know, chefs get all the love. No shade to chefs, but, like, farmers, definitely, we help y'all do your job in the way that y'all do it <laughs> <laughs> by provision. So um, my very favorite thing that I have eaten that I've made is definitely going to be a red cabbage recipe. It's smoked red cabbage. And it's really well done, braised in the oven, um, kept on the whole head, kind of like sliced and just kept in. Yeah, smoked red cabbage is where it's at. (laughs) All right. Now, unfortunately, we have less than 30 seconds to go. So where can people find you online? Farmer John Philly, and that's John, J-A-W-N. It's a Philly word. So find us there, get involved, come to the farm. Uh, And also you can look up our tea company as well. And uh, we'll send you some tea from herbs that we grow at our farm. Oh, nice. All right. Thank you so much, Krista, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. 